Hey, welcome home, everybody. You're watching Legacy Television. I'm Jeremy Pearsons. We're glad to have you with us today in the house of faith. There's always a place for you here in this house. Uh, a couple of weeks ago on the broadcast, we began something that we're continuing now, and it's a message that was originally preached at Faith Life Church in Branson, Missouri. Church, awesome church, pastored by Brother Keith and Miss Phyllis Moore. And uh, we want you to be a part of this message because the Lord said some powerful things that we want to get into your heart, take root into your life. We're talking about the anointing. What is the anointing? The anointing, of course, you know, is that burden-removing, yoke-destroying power of God. The anointing has the, the, the power and the ability to remove burdens from your life, destroy yokes around your neck, but it's also got the power to turn you in to somebody else. And you need to know what it's like to live life with this fresh oil, to be anointed with this fresh anointing. I've said this, I said it in this message, and I'll say it to you now. One of the greatest things you will ever find out in your life is what you are anointed to do. What God has given you his power to do and to accomplish, what service, what work you are anointed and called to do. And when you find that out, then what do you do? You give your life to it. And you're gonna recognize that when you find out what you're anointed to do, you're gonna find that you begin to step into opportunities and occasions all around you that make a demand on that anointing. So what do you do? What do you do when you step into that? Well, that's what I wanna get into in these broadcasts. So this is part three of Anointed with Fresh Oil. He said, you're gonna prophesy and be turned into another man. He had told him that in just a few days or just, just shortly after this encounter, there's going to come, he's prophesying to him and saying, there's going to come a band of prophets. And he's literally a band. These guys playing instruments and they're going to come down the mountain and you're going to cross paths with them and you're going to prophesy and you're going to be turned into another man. Now for this to be significant to us, it would help to know who Saul was before this happened. If you back up to chapter 9, in verse one, it says there was a man of Benjamin. Other translations say he was a wealthy man. It's talking about Saul's dad. There was a wealthy man of the tribe of Benjamin whose name was Kish. Verse two says he had a choice and handsome son. This is Saul, choice and handsome. I don't know exactly what choice means, but you get it, don't you? He's choice, he's handsome. And the Bible says in verse two, there was not a more handsome person than he among the children of Israel. My friends, if the Bible says you're the best looking dude in the country, you are the best looking brother in the entire country. The Bible's not exaggerating about this guy. He's choice. He's so handsome. He's the best looking one in Israel. Not only that, it says from his shoulders upward, he was taller than any of the people. This is a lot of young ladies' vision list right here, <laughs> right here. Choice, handsome, Middle Eastern, so you know he's dark, tall, dark, <laughs> handsome, got some money, comes from money. We won't take time to read the whole thing, but what basically happened was Saul's dad, Kish, lost some donkeys. Don't you hate it when that happens? The donkeys got out and he sent Saul out to get the donkeys. 
And they go looking for the donkeys and they've been out there three days and they can't find these donkeys. These are some fast moving donkeys. Saul can't find the donkeys and he says, we gotta go home. Dad's gonna be worried about me. And the servant says, wait, there's a prophet that lives somewhere around here. We find him, we'll ask him where the donkeys are. He'll do his thing. He'll tell us where the donkeys are. It'll be great. We'll go home with the donkeys. And Saul says, fine, let's go find the prophet. So they're walking along, they're looking for the prophet and they come across a group of young ladies. So here's this choice, handsome, best looking dude in the country, taller than everybody, coming from money kind of guy, walks up to the group, this group of girls. Now the Bible doesn't record how awkward it was when all those girls just started blushing and just, he's talking to me, he's talking to me. And he says to these group of girls, have you seen the prophet? And they said, yeah, he's right up there. Go quick, you can get him. So they run and they chase down Samuel. But in verse 15 of chapter nine, it says, the Lord had told Samuel in his ear the day before Saul came saying, tomorrow about this time, I'll send you to a man of the land of Benjamin. He said, I will send you a man from the land of Benjamin. You will anoint him commander over my people that he may save my people from the hand of the Philistines for I've looked upon my people because their cries come to me. So when Samuel saw Saul, the Lord spoke to him and said, there he is, there he is. So Samuel or Saul, excuse me, starts asking Samuel, have you seen my donkeys? And Saul answered him and, or excuse me, Samuel answered him. And uh, he said to him in verse 20, as for your donkeys that were lost three days ago, don't be anxious about them. They've been found. And then he adds this to it. And on whom is all the desire of Israel? Is it not on you and on all your father's house? Saul hears this, and I want you to hear his response in verse 21. Saul answered and said, am I not a Benjamite? Notice his words, of the smallest of the tribes of Israel and my family, the least of all the families. Notice what he says to him. Why then do you speak to me like this? One translation says, Why do you talk to me like I'm important? It's interesting to me. It's just a good indicator that you never know what's going on inside somebody. Now here's a guy who on the outside has every right and reason to be confident, right? Choice, tall, dark, handsome, comes from money. But when he came face to face with the anointing on his life, What did he say? I'm the smallest. I'm the least. Why do you speak to me like I'm somebody important? This is insecurity. This is timidity. And this is fear. But somebody help me out. What's the anointing do to all this stuff? Lifts that burden. Destroys that yoke. That's why when you get to chapter 10 and Samuel pours all that oil on him and said, it's because of the anointing on you. And he says, the spirit of the Lord's coming on you and you're going to be turned into somebody else. That's who you were. You about to be somebody different. And sure enough, in verse seven, it says, Samuel said to him, let it be when these signs come to you that you do as the occasion demands, for God is with you. God is with you. 
Is this not what it said about Jesus? Went about doing good, healing all that were oppressed of the devil. How? Why? Where'd the power come from? What was the source for that? God was with him. Every impossible thing made possible in the life and the ministry of Jesus was the result of the anointing and God with him. Every one of them. Now listen to me. If Jesus, if Jesus needed the anointing, what do you think you need? What do you think I need? The anointing. This is why I tell you this is some of the most precious, some of the most valuable information, the most wonderful revelation you'll ever come across in your life. What's the anointing on me for? What's the anointing in me to do? And I've come to the place even recently, even even just within the last few days, the last few weeks, I've come to a place in my own ministry where I am determined I I am not going to minister without the anointing. And I would way rather minister to 50 people with the anointing than to 5,000 without it. Why? Because it's the only thing that will actually lift a burden or destroy a yoke. That's it. And if I've preached a room full of people, stadium full of people, 5,000, 10,000 people, and I stand there and I preach and all, all the words sound good and they're all strung together just right, but there's no anointing, then not one burden was lifted and not one yoke was destroyed. The Lord's been talking to me, like I said, about the anointing and giving me a number of words for it. And there's, I want to tell you some things tonight and I want this to stick with you. Number one, inspect for the anointing. Do you know what the word inspect, not insect, inspect means? It doesn't just mean to look at, it means to look closely look closely for. Here's the truth. Somebody's gift, a gift is a wonderful thing. A gift can be from God. And a gift has the ability to fill up a room. A gift has an ability to wow people. A gift has an ability to impress people. A gift can do great things, but you know what a gift can't do? It cannot lift a burden. And it cannot destroy a yoke. Only the anointing can do that. This is what I love about you and I being a part of this family. As you can come into this place every Friday, every Sunday, and be confident that what you're hearing is not just a gifted word, it's a anointed word. And that what you're hearing and what you're feeding on has the ability in it to lift a burden and destroy a yoke. But I'm going back through and and anything, if I'm listening to anything, if I'm receiving from anywhere, I take just a moment and I inspect, is there anointing? Am I being wowed by the anointing or or excuse me, am I being wowed by a gift or am I being blessed by the anointing? Inspect, look closely. We are not in need of more gifted preachers, more gifted singers, more gifted people. We've got a lot of them. What this world needs is you anointed. Anointed. And what the anointing will do on you. It'll do the same thing on you that it did on Saul. Turn you into somebody else. Now think about this guy. 
You know from the one way he answered Samuel, the level of insecurity and fear and timidity that's in him. Why are you talking to me like somebody who's important? And the anointing starts going to work and starts changing that. But Samuel was clear with him. He said, here's what's going to happen. The prophets are going to come. The spirit of the Lord's going to come on you. The anointing's going to be present. That anointing that's consecrating you to this office, that anointing that's equipping you to do this, it will be there. But did you notice the other instruction? See that you do all that the occasion demands. See, you still have to cooperate with it. Now think about that. I know there are people in here, maybe many, who could identify with the guy Saul was before the anointing. I mean, what if we did an experiment tonight and I just pulled somebody out of the crowd and I handed you a microphone and I said, prophesy. Prophesy. Many of us would not know what to say, not know what to do, uh, 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 and, and just be at a loss, at a total loss, not know how to function in front of people. So Saul had a choice to make. Even though the anointing was present, even though God was with him, He had to yield to it. He had to yield to the anointing. And thank God he did. It happened just the way Samuel said it was going to happen. The prophets prophets came and prophesied. Verse 9, it says that when he had turned his back to go from Samuel, God gave him another heart and they came to the hill. There was a group of prophets to meet him and the Spirit of God came on him. And he prophesied among the people. And it happened when all who knew him formerly... I like this. All who knew him formerly. What's knew him formerly mean? Like yesterday. Like before the anointing. All who knew him formerly saw that he indeed prophesied among the prophets. And the people said to one another, what is this that has come upon the son of Kish? Can I give you my translation? What got into this guy? What got into Saul? Everybody who knew him before the anointing knew that timid guy, knew that shy guy, knew that guy gripped with fear. And now all of a sudden he's standing up there with prophets prophesying. Here's a big key, a big indicator that you're living and walking and operating under the anointing, an uncommon boldness, an uncommon confidence comes up on the inside of you. And and I know sometimes we talk about people, especially ministers, and we say about them, you know, man, that guy, Dave, he's awesome. And and he's the same way at home as he is in the pulpit. And I know know that's a good thing. It's talking about integrity and, and character, and we need that. But there's also supposed to be this thing that comes on you, and all who knew you formerly look at you and say, what got into you? What got all over you? All those who knew you before you found out what the anointing was on you. All those who knew you before you came in contact with that burden, removing, yoke, destroying power of God. Anybody, anybody in your family, anybody that you work with, anybody that you go to church with that knew you formerly, now they see you living and operating under the anointing and they look at you and they look at each other and go, what got in to this guy? What got into you? Come on, help me. What's the answer? The anointing. Turn you in to somebody else. Same thing happened to David. The anointing left Saul. 
This was another word the Lord gave me about it. Not only do we inspect for the anointing, we protect the anointing. Saul didn't value it enough, didn't honor it enough to protect it. And he made some decisions out of pride and how he looked in front of people and he lost the anointing. And God spoke to Samuel and said, go to the house of Jesse, I want you to anoint another one. And so he did and Jesse brought his sons out. And he started with the first one. You know what the Bible says about him? Tall, handsome, choice. And you know what Samuel said? Surely the Lord's anointed. But what did God say? He said, no, inspect. Look closer. You're looking at the outside. But God said to him, I don't look out here. I don't see as man sees. What Samuel saw was one that looked like what God did before. But God said, no, look at the heart. With Saul, God had to put a new heart in him. With David, the heart was already there. He's a man after my own heart. He said, look at the heart. And you know what happened? Jesse paraded one son after the other, after the other, after the other. And Samuel said, this isn't, this isn't him. You have any more? He said, yeah, I got one, but he's just a kid. He's out in the field with the sheep. Go get him. And brought him in. Did the same thing with him that they did with Saul. Took that flask of oil and just greased him up. And the Bible says that from that day forward, the Spirit of the Lord was with him. The Spirit of the Lord was with him. And remember what Samuel said to Saul. When you're anointed, you've got to see that you do as the occasion demands. See, when you find out what the anointing is on your life, when you ask the Lord to give you eyes that see, you'll find that you're constantly stepping in to situations and occasions that are there to put a demand on the anointing that's on you. This is how I'm treating any invitation that comes to us in our ministry, will you come minister here? Go before the Lord, find out if we're supposed to do it. If the Lord says yes, then my thought process goes immediately to, okay, evidently there's something in the anointing that God has put on our lives that is in demand in that occasion. And it requires a confidence and a godly boldness to stand in that pulpit and to say, whatever's going on here is in demand of the anointing. It requires the same confidence out of you. Because there are things going on around you in the, in the workplace, in your home, things happening in the lives of your family and different people all around you. And they are going on and you are being made aware of it for one reason. It's an, it's an occasion that's placing a demand on that anointing that's on you. And when you get into that occasion, see that you do all the occasion demands. I mean, what would you think what would you think of a doctor? Say a doctor was just not at work. He was just out in a restaurant, on an airplane, in any public place. And you've seen this played out in television, movies, maybe even real life. Something happens in another person. They, something's going on in their body and they're violently attacked with something and they fall to the ground and somebody rushes over. And what's the first thing that person who rushes over, what do they shout? Is there a doctor in the house, right? What would you think of a doctor who's got the knowledge, the understanding, and the ability to do something about that, but can't be bothered to get involved? 
What would you think about that? What would you think if you found out this person laid there suffering and maybe even lost life and you found out that there was somebody just in the same room down the aisle across the row who had the ability to do something about it? Is there a doctor in the house? What would you think of that person? Hmm? Not much. Folks, this has happened. Maybe people aren't saying it in these words, but people who are talking to you and venting about every dramatic thing that's going on in their life and every, every sickness in their family and every financial problem and every marital problem. Do you want to know what they're saying? Is there a doctor in this house? Is there a believer in this house? Is there faith in this house? Is there a testimony in this house that I could hear? Is there an anointing in the house? But what would you think of somebody who sat there with the anointing, the faith, the knowledge of God, the understanding of his word, the experience with him, but because of fear, wouldn't get involved, afraid of what they might think. You stepped into an occasion that put a demand on your anointing, but you didn't yield to it. You know, the New Testament talks to us about not quenching the spirit. This is how you quench him right here, by not yielding to him. But when you come eye to eye and face to face with the anointing that's on your life, the next thing is to just live with eyes wide open stepping into an occasion where there might be a demand on that anointing. David was anointed. And from that, from the, that moment forward, God created an occasion here, an occasion there that put a demand on that anointing. Saul was troubled by a spirit. And what happened? God created an occasion for David to come and the anointing on him drove out that spirit. There was one day that David stepped right in the middle of an occasion that demanded the anointing. His dad told him, here, take some food to your brothers there on the battlefield. And he showed up and there was this great big Brutus looking dude standing out there, cursing the God of Israel, cursing the army of Israel. And every single person, Saul included, retreated in fear. And David showed up and you know what he started saying? What do I get when I kill this guy? What do I get if I kill this guy? And they start telling him, you get the king's daughter, you get his money, you get no taxes in your family forever. And David said, what was that part about the daughter? <laughs> Tell me that part again. What do I get if I kill this guy? I'm telling you, somebody anointed stands out. Somebody anointed, somebody bold, somebody confident, somebody, an escaping inmate from the prison of fear. This person stands out, especially when everybody else around you is gripped with the stuff. Hey, thank you so much for listening to the Legacy TV podcast. We hope you enjoyed this. And if you'd like to hear more of Jeremy and Sarah, subscribe to this podcast and download the Legacy Studios app. From there, you'll have access to the Legacy Television broadcast, the Legacy Letter magazine, and so much more. You can also visit pearsonsministries.com to contact us directly and find out how you can get involved with everything that's happening here at Legacy Studios. Be blessed today. We love you. Remember, you are always welcome here in the House of Faith.